Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Monday the 29th of March. I'm Tom Tilley and Annika Smethurst is back. And Annika, your wedding and honeymoon has all happened successfully. Uh, Saw your pictures on Instagram. You looked very happy at your wedding. Yeah, it was really, really good. We're so lucky, especially given what happened with COVID. Look, it poured with rain. It wasn't a perfect day. I did plan, you know, this nice long afternoon on the lawn. It was under a marquee, but that's fine. So lucky to get away with it. I've had so many friends had to cancel their weddings or cancel their honeymoons. So honeymooned in far north Queensland and avoided the rain up there. But it was lovely. Thank yeah. you, Tom. Look like tropical bliss. Where were you? Uh, just outside of Cairns, I went to a working cattle station called Mount Mulligan and it was amazing. And then out to Fitzroy Island, which was uh, just dreamy and romantic. People should holiday at home more. I certainly haven't over the years, but I will in the future. Amazing. All right. Look, fantastic. Today uh, on The Briefing, we're looking at JobKeeper. It ends today and we're getting an expert to give it a, a star rating. The government showed a great deal of courage and initiative early on and then sort of seemed to just slip back to its old ways of thinking. Find out how many stars JobKeeper gets a little later. Uh, Let's get into the news of the day, starting with JobKeeper. As many as 150,000 Aussies are expected to be out of work from today as that JobKeeper scheme ends. Well, there's no doubt that there will be some businesses that will continue to do it tough once JobKeeper ends. That's the Federal Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg. The $90 billion program set up last year to subsidise the wages of millions of Aussies ended at midnight. The number of workers and businesses relying on the program has dropped off since last year, but the government's figures show that more than 900,000 workers still depend on the wage subsidy to survive. Unions warn that the unemployment rate of 5.8% will go up from today. Um, It's caused a lot of political debate in Canberra. Here's the Treasury Secretary Stephen Kennedy being grilled about it last week by Labor's Katie Gallagher. We could see a bump in the unemployment rate. One person's bump is another person's livelihood, frankly. So clearly still some concern about this, Annika, about those 150,000 people that will lose their jobs and also different sectors and different parts of the country like Victoria that are still doing it really tough. Do you think the government's striking the right balance here of ending it at this point? This was always the plan and I think businesses knew that and workers knew that going into this. This was never a permanent subsidy. There seems to be, even from the sector, from small businesses, that they want a more specific targeted JobKeeper package. There's been a lot of concern about businesses like Harvey Norman and other quite, you know, wealthy and and successful businesses that have survived the pandemic actually taking this. So I think it's definitely time to tinker with it. That doesn't mean it's not going to hurt a lot of people. As we've heard there, around a million people are going to find themselves no longer receiving that. So they do have an option, and that is to go to the job seeker payment, which is slightly higher than what it was. But we know a lot of people don't get off that once you're on it, and that's not what the government wants. So I think they do need to wind it back. It is hugely expensive. In many parts of Australia, the economy is coming back. It's about what they do to fill the gap in those areas such as tourism and the airline industry to help those really specific industries survive. Yeah, and I think it'll also be interesting to watch what happens with the unemployment number. So if it goes up by about 1%, that'll be, you know, pretty uncomfortable for the moment. But it's how quickly those people then find new jobs and that unemployment figure comes back to 5.8% where it's been and hopefully even lower than that. 
Prime Minister Scott Morrison's popularity has taken a hit. It's fallen to its lowest point in more than a year. The PM's approval rating has fallen seven points from 62% to 55 in the latest news poll, which is out today. Yeah, Scott Morrison's been criticised for his response to the allegations of sexual harassment and assault in Parliament. This latest opinion poll comes as Queensland MP Andrew Lamming has had to announce that he won't be contesting the next election. This guy has shown he is not fit to be in the parliament. He shouldn't be fit to take a salary. He's a creep and he's got to go. Green Senator Sarah Hansen-Young calling on Dr Lamming there to quit. Dr Lamming has apologised for bullying two women online but has denied allegations he had malicious intent when he took a photo of a woman bending over. Yeah, this was the latest scandal to hit the Morrison government uh, and it's particularly challenging for them, isn't it, Annika, given that the balance of power is so slim. So if Lamming went straight away as opposed to going at the next election, this would have caused massive problems for the government. Yeah, he could do what Craig Kelly has done and sit on the crossbench. Often when former Liberals or former Coalition MPs do that, they still do guarantee supply and mostly vote with the government. So there is a bit of a buffer there, but all of a sudden this sort of mystique that Scott Morrison had quite a strong majority and might be Prime Minister for many, many years, is starting to unravel just a little bit. Yeah, it's getting pretty messy. Uh, He is hoping to basically bring this issue under control. It's expected today that he will make, finally, that announcement about his cabinet reshuffle, which will, you know, basically all about what he's going to do with Christian Porter and Linda Reynolds. Yeah, it looks like they will stay in some sort of ministry role. Now, how that works is there is a cabinet and they're sort of the senior ministers and then there were outer ministers that still get the sort of title but don't have that cabinet position. It looks like they'll both still be on the front bench, although out of their current roles. So that's Christian Porter moving out from the role as Attorney General and the reason given there will be that there's a perceived conflict of interest. That's our expectation And Linda Reynolds, essentially, Annika, would you say is being stepped back from defence because they sense they need to do something because of her response to Brittany Higgins? Is that the sort of understanding? I think so. It looks like Peter Dutton might actually take that defence role. Defence is really important, even from, I guess, an image point of view that we have a defence minister that can, I guess, withstand quite a lot of pressure and it would be seen that she's uh, got a few health concerns and maybe just isn't up to it at the moment. But there is a balance the Prime Minister needs to strike in Cabinet and that's making sure you have enough people from each state, from each faction and from each gender in (laughs) Cabinet. So it is a little bit of a balancing act. Both these people are from WA and they can't remove them both because there needs to be people who are representing Western Australia. And in Queensland, authorities are working hard to avoid a lockdown as they trace the contacts of three young men who've tested positive to COVID. Brisbane was on edge over the weekend after it was wrongly announced that one of the men held a 25-person house party when he was meant to be isolating. Yeah, so that led to fears of an Easter lockdown, but yesterday it was revealed there'd been a misunderstanding and there was no house party. The third case is the brother of the first case and we're told... This new case has already fully recovered and is not currently infectious. People are being urged to get tested in Brisbane and tens of thousands of people in other states who've recently travelled back from Brisbane are also being urged to get tested and isolate until they get their results. And more violence on the streets of Myanmar overnight. Protests broke out yesterday after more than 100 people were killed by security forces in rallies in Yangon, 
and Mandalay, the country's two biggest cities, on Saturday. This revolution must win to end this dictatorship like once and for all. That's a protester speaking to the BBC overnight. Uh, a military-led coup, of course, going back, um, started on February 1 and it ousted the leader of the country, Aung San Suu Kyi, and the elected government. Saturday's protests coincided with Armed Forces Day in which the military goes on parade. And the deaths on the weekend reportedly included uh, several children under 16 years old. And so this series of protests and killings now um, takes the death toll to over 400 Annika, we'll catch you tomorrow. Jan Fran's about to join us as we look at the end of JobKeeper. Businesses that I'm currently in and people that I know are relying on JobKeeper to keep us employed. After the JobKeeper is going to finish, we don't know how we're going to be able to rely on our jobs anymore. That is Jen Holmes. She is a waitress at a Gold Coast restaurant, but maybe not for much longer. On this episode of The Briefing, JobKeeper ends today. So what's going to happen? Will we fall off the JobKeeper cliff? And now that it's over, what's the report card on this $90 billion policy? How many stars would you give it? I would wonder, Jen, if this is... I know Scotty from Marketing cops a lot of flack, but this might be one of his greatest triumphs. You had JobKeeper, which made (laughs) sense, JobSeeker, which was um, a rebadge version of the doll with an extra payment, and then there was job maker as well, which was an incentive to get people into work uh, at the back end of this pandemic. Yeah, so job maker is actually supposed to be replacing job keeper. Let me get this right. Not replacing really. job keeper. I mean, Although not really, that's the criticism of it, right? Yeah. Well, let's go back to the start of this this huge public policy. It was one of the biggest ever labour market interventions in Australia's policy history. Today we are introducing a fifteen hundred dollar per fortnight. Job keeper payment to keep Australians in their jobs even when the work may dry up. That was the Prime Minister announcing the policy on March 30 last year in the darkest, most uncertain times in this pandemic. Now, it was $1,500 a fortnight per employee for small businesses impacted by COVID, but those payments um, then reduced to 1000 or 650 a fortnight, depending on the workers' hours. At its peak in the middle of last year, 3.8 million people were on JobKeeper. Uh, that went down to 1.5 million by the end of the year, and it will be lower than that now. We're just waiting on the latest figures. Last week, we got an estimate from the Treasury Department that 150,000 people will lose the payment and their jobs as of today. Yeah, Jen Holmes is one of them. She's the woman that we heard from earlier. James Dawson is also doing it tough. He's a Sydney-based music agent who books performers in pubs and clubs. The end of JobKeeper is actually pretty bad because it means that um, that little bit of money each week is now not coming in and um, there's still all the outgoings, rent, utilities, phone bills, the whole bunch, and um, all our obligations to the ATO. We've still got all those in place. So what is the impact of JobKeeper ending and uh, what is its star rating? Uh, We're speaking to economist John Quiggan. He's a professor at the University of Queensland School of Economics. Treasury have said that 150,000 jobs will be lost after JobKeeper ends in just a few days. What kind of impact do you think that'll have? Well, obviously, we still haven't seen a full recovery from the um, loss due to the pandemic, and um, we have a lot of jobs being kept alive by JobKeeper. Some of those are are industries that are still recovering from the pandemic. Some of those arguably are jobs that simply can't be sustained in the long run for one economic reason or another, businesses that are really 
unable to uh, continue in the market at their current size and those jobs are likely to be gone forever once JobKeeper goes. How much is that going to boost the unemployment rate? How much overall impact will that have on the, the job market and the economy? Well, if none of those people uh, found jobs, we'd see a, um, another percentage point or, or a bit more uh, oh. added to the unemployment rate. So um, uh, you'd expect that some of those people will be able to find new jobs, but certainly there could be a significant impact, especially given that uh, the job maker scheme, the government's replacement, hasn't really uh, hasn't really had any effect so far. Yeah, we hear a bit about so-called zombie businesses, so these businesses that are basically being propped up by JobKeeper. Do we have an indication of how many will be affected or go down without support? Yeah, well, there's really two issues with the zombie business term. One is businesses that were, for one reason or another, on their way out or have a business model that's never going to work again uh, and have been kept afloat by JobKeeper. And the other is the... um, fact that we've had limitations on bankruptcy for the last year. So a lot of businesses uh, which might have gone bankrupt in the ordinary course of business uh, haven't. So there's concerns there. Obviously, businesses fail at a steady rate. Everything's been upturned by the pandemic. So we'll have to wait and see how those things pan out. I think in many ways, the problem with JobKeeper was it was tied to businesses rather than being paid to employees, which could then be made portable. Uh, that, Mm. That, I think, would have been the better medium-term response. Okay, we'd love to do an overall scorecard of the policy, John. It's been a very interesting one, one of the biggest public policy areas ever, but that's when it was $130 and then they realised it was actually more like 70 But it is one of the biggest labour market interventions in in Australian history. So out of five, how many stars would you give it? When it was first introduced, definitely five stars. It was the right response for the time, but I think the payment to employers was problematic I was certainly pointing that out as early as May last year. And so what we've seen has been, as the immediate crisis passed, the um, payments has gone to firms that don't really need it anymore. And on the other hand, uh, workers who weren't in the lucky position of being employed in March in a firm affected by JobKeeper weren't getting any benefit from it. So I think uh, I think I'd give them five out of five for the, for the start-up but uh, probably only about three for the way they've handled the wind down. What do you think has been some of the major issues with it? Well, as I say, it's, it's paid to employers in the original version of it very reasonably. Uh, this up, the aim was to get the money out the door as fast as possible to prevent what could have been a catastrophic uh, crash in the economy. Uh, but the end result is that lots of employers who really didn't need it got the money mm. and um, and... Uh, are reaping huge profits. At the same time, uh, in this long-run sense, you have uh, you have a sort of situation w- with the so-called zombie firms that you've mentioned, that uh, firms which for one reason or another ought to have gone out of business haven't done so. John, what if they put a clause in it um, that if people, if businesses did make massive profits after receiving JobKeeper, that they paid it back? I mean, that, that could have been something they could have done at the start, right? It was only that they didn't do that that they weren't able to claw in some of that money back. Mm. Well, certainly the US program was was structured as a loan, but um, nonetheless, many of the same issues arose. So I find it hard to criticise what they did right at the beginning. The difficulty was, I think, across this and a range of issues, the government showed a great deal of courage and initiative early on and then sort of seemed to just slip back to its old ways of thinking. Okay. um, The RBA put out a paper in November, said that 80% of the people who got it would have kept their jobs anyway. Does that mean that money was wasted? It's easy to say that looking back, um, at the time I think it was right, but the issue really was uh, that uh, the targeting 
wasn't good and wasn't refined properly over time. Okay, you said that you gave it five stars at the beginning once it rolled out and then those number of stars started to drop. What would you have done differently to have maintained that five-star value? Well, I would have shifted the... uh, uh, shifted the job giver away from a payment to employers uh, to a subsidy that workers who'd lost their jobs could take from one employer to another. But they got uh, job this... seeker those people, and, and job seeker was relatively generous compared to the old dole payment. Uh, well, job seeker was good for people who didn't have jobs. This will be this will be something to enable people who lost their jobs during the pandemic uh, to go to an employer and say, "Look, you can hire me for the next year. I lost my job, but I'm bringing this wage subsidy with me." Uh, so we've got some of those people off job seeker and, and into uh, into employment. And, and that, of course, would have uh, not getting job seeker would offset the cost of that. That's what job makers sort of supposed to do, isn't it? Uh, again, it's being, everything's being given to employers. Mm. That's, that's, I think, the problem, that the government is uh, entirely oriented to thinking in terms of employers. What's the best thing been about JobKeeper, do you reckon? It did get us through the uh, uh, through the lockdown, through the immediate panic, through uh, the closure of state borders and, and those things. So I think it's still overall much better to have had it than to have not had it. Yeah, I remember at the time um, some of my cousins in Adelaide, they were getting really worried. They were out of their jobs or, you know, the, the work had been reduced. And it was kind of – I think a lot of families had these grim phone calls with their loved ones. And I remember them saying, well, it looks like I'm on JobKeeper for the rest of the year. And it was – it was kind of grim, but it, it did provide them with a sense of security. And the basic concept of it, the name, um, even the branding of it, seemed to make a very clear statement and provide people a, a, quite a peace of mind in a very uncertain time. Yes, well, certainly, I think um, we got through the. Um, I mean, we of course are not out the woods yet. Not until uh, the vaccine rollout picks up, and until we can restore things. But we got through this crisis remarkably well. And, and I suppose it's important to say you know, uh, the government in that period had to swallow a lot of their own past rhetoric. You know, they mm. they did essentially the same thing that the Rudd government had done during the GFC and they'd spent a long time saying, oh, we didn't need that, it wasn't necessary. So I think it's, it's certainly unreasonable to pick on them having reversed themselves for having gone too far. I mean, the lesson, I think, out of 2008 was we, should, we, we, we tried to roll the stimulus back too soon. You know, we just had a long period when everything was about getting the budget back to surplus mm. and we never really got uh, uh, unemployment down to properly low rates. Do you think that they're winding this particular subsidy back too soon? Are they doing the right thing, ending it now? Yeah, because their explanation is that, okay, we're winding back the sort of economy-wide support, but we are targeting industries that need it. But I know a lot of people in the entertainment industry, for example, mm. um, wouldn't agree with that. Well, certainly, I mean, working in the university sector, we were excluded on entirely arbitrary grounds, I think, and um, and so there was yeah that that was one of the flaws from the beginning was that some some groups who were on the outer with the government uh, didn't get as good treatment as we could. Mm-hmm. I would say that the, by far the worst winding back though is in the current situation is with Job Seeker, especially given that we still have legislated in very large tax cuts for high income earners that were legislated years in advance on the assumption that the economy was going to go smoothly uh, for the 10 years from 2020 onwards. Professor, can you just paint us a picture looking forward? JobKeeper's ended. What do you reckon these next six months are going to look like? Not great for unemployed workers. Uh, the situation was was terrible before the pandemic and is only marginally better in terms of payments now. And I, I don't expect to see a huge upsurge from here because there are still so many sectors... Uh, 
dependent on international travel, business travel and so forth, that we need an adjustment there. Uh, and I think that yeah, there's lots of consequential changes around the economy that mean we'll be going through this period of adjustment uh, with the assistance that's been given to people so far largely removed. That was economist John Quiggan there giving JobKeeper a mm, not bad He went rating. from five stars at the start down to three. So I would argue that that three-star downgrade was only with the benefit of hindsight. Mm. So it leaves JobKeeper with a pretty strong rating, really. Yeah, if it was a comedy show, you'd probably go and see it. Tomorrow on The Briefing, we're taking you to Hong Kong. It's two years since those massive anti-China protests on the streets. And so much has changed since then. Um, It does appear that Goliath is winning in this case. We'll find out how much control China now has over Hong Kong and why some residents are leaving. Listener.